The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Yeah, sorry, the, the whippings will continue until morale improves. Yeah. Um, let's try that. And there. And now, what do you hear? No change. Same thing. Well, that's what you're. That's what you're going to have to deal with. I've all right. Not only exhausted all my uh, um, options, but I really don't care anymore. How's <laughs> <laughs> the airplane? Um, it is down to being in only two zip codes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and one of those zip one of those zip codes will change throughout the night. As UPS comes through, um, I, I uh, oh, um, in an express flight from Louisville. From yeah. Uh, from uh, yeah, I, I have I have two eighteen dollar bearings coming from uh, Aircraft Spruce in Georgia through Louisville to Sarasota. Um, we we finally got into the uh, trim actuators and the elevators, and. Um, one one of the bearings in the elevators is fine. The other one was like toast. It was uh, I, had, I hadn't seen a bearing that bad in a long time. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and of course, there are no such bearings in Southwest Florida. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because I checked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know you did. I'm sure you did. Never, <laughs> doubt, never doubted that for a minute. But but Aircraft Spruce has them in stock in both Georgia and California, and um, I got two of them coming at me. So um, I figured I'd have one first. You know, I'd get what a miracle of transportation from Georgia to Louisville, Louisville to Sarasota. Exactly. Put, put one on the airplane and uh, either hold on to the other one or somewhere, sometime, somebody will be similarly situated and they will pay me real money for that bearing. <laughs> okay, well, oh, it, you know, you can you always have, think like that. Yeah, well, there you go. There you go. That's did right. you have to buy two? No, I didn't have to buy two. I could, oh, have, okay. bought, I could have bought one, but I bought. But you're going to replace them both, right? No, I, the other one's just fine. There's nothing wrong with it. The, the, but the one really shouldn't be put back on the airplane. So, but I, as I say, just it never hurts to have two of everything. That's not yeah, yeah. You know, Dave, two, I, I I live with a guy who thinks like that. I have yeah. a lot of extra things. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm not really a belt and suspenders kind of guy, but sometimes I, I don't. You know, for 18 bucks, I really don't care. Right. Yeah. Right. No. So is this the uh, end of the shipping? You know, nothing practically. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I, I think we've begun. Is this conversation suitable for public consumption? <sighs> oh well, now that's always debatable with us. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who the public is, I guess. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. No, I I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> no, I didn't. So, David, are you oh. gonna are you are you planning to try and to get a ride on this rocket pack thing, this jet pack? Oh, absolutely. I. Well, see, man, I can't think of a better shot than um, you know me hovering in the air, looking down dude, at my own two feet dude, with me, a crowd let, on the ground. It's been let, nice knowing you, Dave. Yeah, let, let, me, <laughs> let, let me ask you a question. Um, yeah, man, is, is your health insurance all paid up? Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. 
right. Oh, yeah, always. That's the first thing that gets paid in a month. All right. All right. Tell, tell us what we're talking about here. They're, they're, have they actually, they're going to show this thing off at, at AirVenture, at Oshkosh. Right? And yeah, they're planning on flying it. Uh, well, okay, now this is my question. Has it flown yet? <laughs> Successfully? Good Has question. it landed yet? Here's another question. Long, long ago, you, if, if you pay attention to the stuff that comes and goes at Oshkosh, yeah. uh, you, you may see the first public appearance of something. Yeah. But I can't remember the last time you saw the first flight of something. Okay. It sort of gives a whole uh, new meaning to the term engine out checklist, you know. <laughs> I want to know where you know, I want to know who who makes the backup parachute and how that works. Yeah. yeah there you, no there you go. I want to know, you know, who they got to fly this thing and how much he's getting paid. Well, uh Jeb, there's always somebody crazy enough to yeah, fly it. Yeah, I was it. thinking. I'm sure they didn't have all too much trouble finding somebody to fly. I mean, just Dave, you know. So he's there you go. well, and, and remember, you know, Chuck Yeager agreed to try to break the sound barrier in an airplane that had already proven squirrely when it got into the pressure wave, and he did it on a captain's salary with the U.S. Army yeah. or the there U.S. Air Force. So yeah. Yeah. times you know, haven't changed that much. You'll you'll know you'll know how much confidence Dave has in this thing when he flies it by which camera he takes aloft with him. <laughs> oh no, man! I'm taking the big. I'm, you know, I'm going to take the the big one with a really wide lens. Yeah. See, that way, I don't have to get but about eight feet off the ground. So, all kidding aside, what makes this technology any? What, yeah, what makes this tech- that lens is before you leave the ground, it's going to be a lot wider when it hits the ground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what theoretically makes this technology yeah, any a lot better shorter than, too. than the other, Dave? Why is this one? Why is this jetpack better than the others? Well, they're, they're saying it will fly about a hundred times longer than the jetpacks that we're used to seeing, and you know things like old James Bond movies, right? Uh, well, there's a guy who flies, I think, the, that old technology one. That's right. That's that, right. He flies it at, like, you know, public events, and he does a little 15-second hop, you know, like, over the crowd into the middle of the football field. Or oh, whatever. yeah, he can actually stretch it out to about a minute. Can he really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, but you know, you're talking about something with about a four-minute fuel supply, uh, and you burn more getting up, and then you got to put in a little bit on your touchdown as you come back down. So, you know, about a minute or so is as long as that flies. So a hundred minutes, if that's what it is, uh, you know, that's almost, that's, that's almost an hour and 45 minutes, hour and 40 minutes, right? Yeah. Uh, you could actually go someplace in an hour and 40 minutes. This uses regular gasoline. And that's true. With FAA ultralight regulations. That's the part that I had to go back and look up. Yeah. And, well, the truth be told is that there is nothing in the ultralight regulation that says that you can't have something other than reciprocating power. Where do you there put is the, in the LSA regs, but there's where, not yeah. in Part 103. Where do you put the end number? On your butt. <laughs> well, now, see, now that's a common misconception. In, like, three-inch letters, or what, what, what size letters? You really have required? to end number in ultralight. Okay. Really? Yeah, really. Take a look oh, at the regs. Oh, that's right. Ultralight. Ultralight. You're absolutely sure, right. You don't have ultralight to. Ultralight category. You don't have to. You don't have to. There's no license required. Technically, there's no training required. Although common sense, insurance, and 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 whoever underwrites your health insurance is going to kind of kind of wish that you do. Matter of fact, you probably will wish that you do because we remember examples from the hot and heavy years of ultralights when they were brand new, where you know. 
uh, war hero level pilots, combat, commercial, blew off the idea of a checkout because after all they've flown this, that, and the other thing, and you know certainly they're up to fly on this little toy, and it came back to bite them couple of them quite severely so you know there's got to be a way to train to do this you know mm-hmm. get it and hover it a foot hover it two feet hover it three feet get a handle on the controls uh and then like i said i really would want a backup parachute something brs has got to make something small enough and light enough with a yeah. little rocket well that is gonna although if you if you if you saw the movie iron man you know it can be a little a little dicey learning how to fly these things you know in the first <laughs> That's true, and if there's one thing I trust as being a guide to my training practices, it's, it's Hollywood. a Hollywood movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What does it? Is it? Are they really rocketing? I mean, what, what's the propulsion on this thing? Gas, gasoline, gasoline. through through uh, a, a little rocket engine, and how it mixes and compresses and dispenses, I don't know. They haven't shared that with us. Uh, we'll get to see some more of this on uh, Aeroshell Square at Air Venture later this month, uh, Tuesday on the 29th, 9.30. I have an idea that I may have to toss coins with Phil to, 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 to see who gets to go do this one. Yeah, well. Well, if it's a ride, I don't think Phil's going to stand in your way. <laughs> well, if it's a ride, yeah. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. I, I, I still owe him one for winning a coin toss yeah. to fly on the Goodyear Blimp. That's right. So, now, so knowing yeah. Phil and knowing you, Dave, I don't think he's going to stand in your way. That's right. I can hear him now. <laughs> Phil's going to go. Phil's going to go. Dave, you rode the Blimp last year, so you know this year. You ride the jetpack. <laughs> yeah, Phil says, I, uh, I tell you what, man. I win, you I'm lose. Gonna, right? yeah. I'm, I'm going to see if I can't th- get the cherry picker truck, and I'm going to park it uh, right so when you take off, you'll be eye level with me, and I'll shoot you with the crowd in the background. That's right, because he, he, he wants to see your face going up and down. He's he right. just stand on top of the ambulance. He won't, he won't and, bother. And he'll be a nice enough guy to never publish the landing shot. I hope <laughs> these jetpack people aren't listeners. This is just terrible. Oh, I hope they they are. I'm not. I'm, I'm not kidding. That's right. Because he wants a ride. <laughs> Welcome, folks. To episode number eighty-nine of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday evening, July third, two thousand eight. And uh, today's the day I ended my ordeal. We closed on my parents' house. It's gone. I am now a free man. Woohoo! Uh, man, oh man. Well, let's let's have, uh, sip for that. Yes, let's like take a drink. Yeah. yeah. What an ordeal. Uh, I've never I've never owned a house in my life, so I've never gone through this process, but and now with the economy as bad as it is, boy, it was just ugly, but uh Now remember, anytime you hear uh uh the the opposite gender talk about childbirth, you will have something that you can relate oh, to. Well, oh, I can't imagine. But, yeah. yeah, but okay, yeah, it's uh I am so, re- and I don't know what to do with myself. I don't have to like be, uh, un- you know, I don't have to be cleaning out their house. I don't have to be showing it. I don't have to be signing papers. I don't. I'm, I'm like, I guess I'll do a podcast. So, anyways. <laughs> so, are you moved in yet? Yeah, and I've moved into my new, my new place, uh, uh, which uh, my new apartment, which I guess I'll come back to that in a minute. But, uh, anyways, let me say hi to my friends here in the virtual hangar. Uh, that was Dave Higdon. Dave is talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? The Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. <laughs> I'm doing good. Got big ambitions. All kidding aside, would you ride this thing? 
You thought I was kidding? I. <laughs> he's not kidding. Uh, he's, he's not, not. kidding, Jack. Jack, you, 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 we need to, we, we, you know, in a more uh, uh, quiet, private setting, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll go through a few things that I've flown in the past <laughs> that kind of got the same general, you'd fly that? Reaction. Okay. Uh, okay. So this would not be, in, in many ways, a new experience. Yeah. We, don't, we don't want anything like that on the record. That's right. No, no, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> and that's Jeb Burnside, and Jeb's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. Hiya, Jack. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. You're fighting good. with your computer tonight. Yes, I've had uh, uh, computer issues this week. I, uh, I'm on my uh, laptop. And my if you just go into a store and buy one that was, like, already built and well, ready to go but i'm i'm saturday when when the stores open and whatnot i'm going to take my uh i'm going to take this desktop back to the place where i got the motherboard in it uh-huh if they can't fix it <clears throat> i might even end up buying a macintosh oh hey hey we'll have to talk i more heard about it that. here no, really <laughs> Ooh, we baby uh-huh. and that's Amy. i have i am tired and fed up well, the, well, I'll have to talk to you, man, because that's the way to yeah. go. Absolutely, yeah, couldn't I be understand. couldn't be more more to the truth. When you're fed up, you should stop eating. <laughs> and finally, that's that's Amy Laboda, exactly. and Amy's talking to us from Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? I am cool and dry this evening, and uh, that's saying something around here. Yeah. Did yeah. you really see a tornado going across the runway? Is that what you were saying? Really? Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago, but uh, in fact, we were all just uh, sitting down and uh, having an adult beverage before dinner. Oh, and you somebody on, like you were on short final or something like that. Yeah. No, no, that would be far too exciting. This was not the time to be on short final for anything. It was, in fact, it was uh, <laughs> the sea breeze seemed to be uh, banging up against the uh, the sea breeze from the other side of the state directly over the runway, and there was some serious nasty looking clouds now do you guys know what what the whole mammal whatever thing is on the bottom of these nasty clouds look like i, I know what you're talking about yes. yeah the yes. little, yeah the little the little when, bump things a little yeah when dimply. they start getting lumpy and dimply on the bottom yeah. and they're only 1500 yeah. feet above the ground and the wind starts blowing really hard it's and like it changes the, about yeah it changes about 20 degrees in a split second you know, it's like something the out of the opening sequence from the old X Files television series. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the and, temperature and, changes like a bat out of hell, and right. uh, yeah. next thing you know, it's you're trying to go places you hadn't intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and then you get, and then it sounds like a a, a, a freight train. I swear, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And you can hear banging. That's the other thing. And what the banging is, it's aluminum rattling inside of the clouds that's aluminum from somebody's back porch that is now airborne above you it's jethro's roof and it's going towards orlando these are all signs there could be a tornado coming at you um it was it was very interesting and in fact um it didn't really die out what happened was it um it lost the bottom the bottom kept spinning and headed north and the top came disengaged from it and then you could see the top trying to grow back out of the cloud again you know that whole tendril thing coming down and there were two or three times it tried to reform and it just didn't quite have the swirling action it needed when specifically was this uh three weeks ago three weeks ago 
and where? Yeah. Did you say? Where did you say? Uh, at, at, Fort your, at your home. At Fort Myers. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, right, so right. does that make me the only remaining virgin here? Jeb, have you ever seen a tornado with your naked eyes? Your I have not seen one with my oh, okay. naked right. eyes that, that I, I recognized as a tornado. I've seen some. I, I have been aloft, actually. Yeah. Uh, when ATC has told me, oh, by the way, there's a tornado reported in oh, your Oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm yes. droning. I'm I'm in a Skyhawk. I'm you know somewhere north of Raleigh, North Carolina, headed back into the D.C. area. This was oh I don't know, pick a number, 20 years ago, and I'm droning along, fat, dumb, and happy as as I'm wont to do, and getting flight following, and, and the controller comes on and says, oh by the way, um, uh, just you know, eight, eight or and it was it was some some small number of miles north of you, yeah, too small, you, an Air Force C5 just reported a tornado <laughs> and i'm thinking well if the c5 is probably worried about that then i probably should be worried about <laughs> it in my little old skyhawk and it was a fairly benign to me anyway afternoon over north carolina in the summer i didn't see a whole lot of bad weather and i just kept motoring along you know kind of kept my eyes open a little bit but I didn't see any tornado and, and just, you know, motored on home and landed and didn't think anything more about it. But I was, I was always struck by the a C5. Wow. Gee, you know, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Should yeah. have said something. That there was a C5 over there low enough to see a tornado that you didn't see. Yeah. Yeah. There's a piece of video floating around on the Internet that shows um, footage from a, an airborne traffic, you know, helicopter. Mm-hmm. of yeah. a tornado in the sort of near distance, um, mm. which is really fascinating video, but I'm thinking, run away, run away. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Flying monkeys, go, go. Well, yeah. <laughs> years ago, this uh, fellow that used to be head of the U.S. Hang Gliding Association, Vic Powell, he had a piece. Uh, he was a, uh, a television news guy, and he had a piece of uh, uh, footage uh, that had been taken from a helicopter. This was film days. Uh, and the helicopter was out in front of the wall cloud with the tornado back under the hook part where the cloud curved back. And they were just kind of staying the same distance ahead of it. So you had the same relative position of of the tornado in the shot as it swept across country. And every few seconds, you'd see these big spark explosions. Mm -hmm. And it was wires getting pulled Mm -hmm. apart. Uh, poles going down, the electricity getting disconnected from one run, and it just kept doing it over and over and over again. And finally got to looking at it closely, and there was a, a long line transmission uh, area right through there, and it just kind of got in parallel with it and was taking out those big, big uh, high tension wires. Yikes! Uh, really lighten up the the, and when it would hit a house. Stuff would go everywhere briefly, and then mostly the the funnel above it would get darker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing stuff. I've never seen one. I, w- I would like to see one from some somewhat of a safe distance. I, I, a I've been tempted. Fast. I've been tempted to join one of those you know those tours where you go and hunt. Let's say they run them around here. There's a couple of guys here local or that <laughs> were here local when they got started doing that. Yeah, and you a lot of their stuff is what you see on the weather. Jack, channel. Jack, you'd lose your medical. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to tell the truth on that one either. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, before I forget, before I forget, let me just say that I am Jack Hodgson, uh, and, oh. uh, and I'm talking to you today from the brand new UCAP World Headquarters in Dover, New Hampshire. <laughs> this is my new home. I've uh, this is a really cool little town for people who don't know. Dover is a former mill town in uh, New Hampshire, um, sort of about. Uh, five ten miles inland from Portsmouth, uh, and uh, we're just on the main border, and uh, um, and it's just a, a cool little town uh, with uh, good coffee shops and uh, bookstores and and whatnot. And I got myself an apartment in an old Victorian building, uh, just a short walk from downtown, and uh, I'm I'm really liking it. I'm still living. Yeah. I mean, I've got like a bajillion. You know, talk about tornadoes. It looks like one went off in my apartment because there are just boxes, <laughs> of, you know, containers of unpacked stuff everywhere. And you should see my hangar right now. Yeah, well, that's probably what my apartment looks like. So uh, you get you get two years, you know, two years, and then you just throw out the box. <laughs> yeah, I've I've made a I've, my resolution is that I'm gonna unpack every box this it's time. Probably a Massachusetts state law or New Hampshire state law. <laughs> it's a New Hampshire state law. That's right. So, anyways. Um, so, uh, uh, Dave, you went flying in a. Uh, speaking of, oh, I don't know. I can't figure out what the what the segue is here. There is no segue. A torpedo? What's a torpedo? Segway, segway that you go, George. Uh, a torpedo. It is a lovely little light sport aircraft that is actually a, uh, a an evolution of a design from John Thorpe. It's a T two eleven. Exactly. It's a T-11, John Thorpe. John Thorpe had a big hand in designing the Piper Cherokee. He also uh, designed some experimental aircraft, the Thorpe 211. Uh, What was there, a T-18? T-18, yeah. yeah. Uh, This Thorpedo is a light sport version. The company, Indus Aviation, also makes an FAA, a regularly certified version of the airplane. And uh, little two-seat, low-wing, tricycle gear, bubble canopy. Uh, one we flew yesterday had a 120-horse, six-cylinder Jabiru engine. And it's about the third or fourth time I've flown something with that Jabiru engine in it, and I just love it to death. That's a six-cylinder? That's a six-cylinder. Yeah. Uh, it is about as long as an O360. Mm-hmm. It would have to be. Uh, yeah, but it's got tiny little... Little cylinders. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a wonderful product. That's what you've got in your kit box, right, Amy? I do. I have a four-cylinder Jabiru 2200. Yeah. yeah. And it's been a marvelously reliable piece of equipment. We've had it in there since uh, 2000, 2001. Yeah. That's yeah. the 85 horse? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, I've flown, I've flown that uh, only once. It, and it was an impressive little engine. Uh, but this six-cylinder always blows my socks off. Yeah. Just how incredibly smooth it is. It is that. No question uh, about it. I've flown the very airplane you're talking about. So, well, then, let, Amy, I'm going to ask you this in a second. But, Dave, so what, what's your reaction to flying this torpedo? Oh, uh, you know, this would be a really lovely uh, cross-purpose airplane. So inexpensive to fly. So nice and comfortable uh, that it'd be... It'd be something that would encourage you to go out and do little weekend fly-ins, little short hops, to go out after work just because you can. Uh, but it's got enough speed and just right scratching the surface in payload 
uh, in luggage capacity to make it a decent cross-country airplane. I mean, if you're going to travel cross-country in a 172 or uh, a PA-28, uh, traveling cross-country in this is not going to be any less comfortable, uh, any, any less utility, except for the fact that there's not a third and fourth seat that most people flying those other airplanes never use for people anyway. Mm-hmm. And except it's going to do it on about four and a half gallons an hour instead of eight or nine, uh, and you can pick up the airplane new, very nicely loaded for well under a hundred thousand bucks. But the flying habits were just great on it. Uh, pull the stick back all the way to your lap, no flaps, uh, engine at idle, and it never broke. And at the same, started to develop a pretty nice sink rate of about five hundred feet a minute. Not outrageous but the sweet thing was that even with the nose up like that and and sinking the ailerons were completely attached you could roll the airplane back and forth mm-hmm. and back and forth and it shot not a hint of wanting to spin uh made it nice tell them tell them about the simplicity of of the way that the airplane's put together though you know it's got the same corrugated wings as the cb has yeah yeah it does the the wings have this no ribs. Well, if you're, if you're familiar, yeah, there's only three ribs in the, in the wing. Mm-hmm. There's an end cap where they attach the tip. There's a uh, mid rib where they uh, uh, have a splice joint. There's a rib where the landing gear attach. Right. And then there's a, 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 a non-structural end cap at the end of the wing where it attaches the fuselage uh, just to give you a, a walkway. Uh not structural in the, the the load on the airplane when it's in the air, but the rest of the instead of ribs, it's got these reverse corrugations. They're little semicircular, almost ribs pressed into the sheet metal every few inches. The whole span of the airplane, they run cordwise, so the the wing's incredibly light. And they use heavy enough materials and a spar that it's got all the strength that it would have if it actually had ribs in all the places of a more traditional wing at them. But it does it at a fraction of the weight. It's just brilliant. And the the ribs don't interfere with the, the airflow in a way that has any negative impact on the airplane. This puppy cooked right along. Did you get to listen to or hear the uh, diesel fly? I listened to it at Sun and Fun, uh, and Scott Severin with uh, with Indus Aviation. Mm-hmm. He was uh, coming through on his way back to the Dallas area. Redbird is where they're based, and we'll have a link to the company on the on on, on the podcast. But uh, he'd called me. He was it's easy for you to say. No, my, we'll come yeah, back sure. to that later. On. Up through, he was going up through uh, North. West Arkansas, Missouri, Western Missouri, Nebraska, and then going back to Dallas. And he stopped over here, spent a few hours yesterday. Uh, got my buddy the leprechaun uh, up in the airplane because I encouraged Scott to bring the airplane into Dead Cow International. And he was really happy with that. $4.30 a gallon for Avgas. Yeah. $4.30 a gallon? That's yeah. great. Yeah. Now, he got the CAF rate. Oh, I think normally it would have been about four seventy. Okay, that's still still right. It's still the cheapest in the Wichita area. Yeah, uh, twenty five hundred foot, 
2200 usable on one seven because of a displaced threshold you know he he slid it in there and was stopped at the turn off uh earl long the owner of the airport and i both used the grass for landing uh needed almost no braking at all to to a nice easy roll out i went just past the turn off turned around and came back on the runway uh nice roll pressures nice balance It'll do a nice turn with maybe a half a ball off center with your feet flat on the floor. Yeah. It, and I'm it, talking it, about getting it up to about 45-degree angle. It's a sweet-performing little airplane, and uh, for the economy of it and the weight and the feel of it, um, it's, it's, it's like a trainer for my airplane. I mean, it really is. Yeah, well, and it, 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 it feels like a heavier airplane than it is in a lot of ways. It behaves uh, that way on landing too. It's got a nice sink rate that you know you can you can really balance with power. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was really impressed with it. I I went into it not really knowing anything about how it flies, and I know a buddy of mine, Dan Johnson, has flown it. I'd forgotten that you. I didn't realize that you'd flown it. Uh, but uh, uh, kind of went into it with the you know the basic open slate approach and. After looking over the airplane and uh, you know getting to pay attention to some of the design touches, like it's got a fully flying stabilator. Yes, in uh, fact, uh, he was one of Thorpe was one of the inventors of the fully flying stabilator. Yeah, yeah, and it and you find it on uh, uh, the Piper Comanche. You'll find it on the the uh, Cessna uh, uh, Cardinal. Cardinal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you find it on the Cherokees. You'll uh, find it on the F-18. You'll find F-18. it on the... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a similar airplane. It, you know, it doesn't have a trim tab. It's got an anti-servo tab. So when you trim. trim it up in any given attitude, the horizontal surface is always completely aerodynamic. There's nothing sticking up in the air. It finds that neutral spot, and that anti-servo tab is neutral. Yeah, and and it doesn't do what Piper did at one point for marketing. I mean, and and you've got it, you've got the tail in the right place to take advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, sure do. Sounds cool. Sounds cool. So, moving on yeah. here. Um, so there's a um, let's see, there's a story in the forums, a posting in the uh, uncontrolled airspace forums, uh, posted by a listener who calls himself Zero Echo Echo. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Basically, the story is uh, he went flying. He tells a story about going flying looking for Dave's Beaumont Hotel, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he ends up wandering around the, uh, the, the the plains of Kansas, as he puts it, um, trying to find the hotel. And they're, they're here and there and everywhere. And uh, they even considered at one point landing at a truck stop to ask for directions. But uh, <laughs> being two guys on board this aircraft, they could not bring themselves to ask for oh, directions. No, you know. Too much testosterone involved. So uh, <laughs> after realizing that they were burning 16 gallons an hour they decided to pull out the sectional and uh, dude use the red knob <laughs> yeah and uh, and wow. uh, managed to find the hotel what i was wondering about is so you know and and i've told stories in the past about about t- times where i've gotten lost flying and managed to figure it out and it's kind of interesting and a learning experience but you uh, instrument pilots you never get lost right <laughs> no, 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 no. I have, I have the, the most amazing lost story. Now, do you know that I flew an an Air Race Classic a thousand years ago with Edna Gardner White? It's my only, my only Air Race okay. story. 
Okay, now do okay. you guys know Edna Gardner White? The was? name is familiar, but you better tell us who that who she is. Let's was. Just, let's just say that in 1987, I had been flying uh, for a little under 10 years, and she had been flying for 60. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll start with that. All right. Uh, she was an air race champion. She uh, trained uh, pilots uh, who went off to World War II and came back. And then she trained more pilots who went off to be airline pilots when they wouldn't hire her. Um, she was a battle axe, God bless her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, big old chip on her shoulder. Big old chip. And lots and lots and lots of trophies. Um and I happened upon her when I was living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as a young, very inexperienced flight instructor. And somehow or other got myself, probably because I coughed up enough money to go along with her, to be her co-pilot in her pink Cherokee on this air race from oh, Pensacola cool. yeah. to Nassau and back. And uh, somewhere... Now, the one thing you need to understand, it was Edna's pink Cherokee. And Edna, who was in her 80s at the time, wasn't doing a lot of uh, IFR anymore. Okay, she had an IFR rating, and she had, she had a Comanche 400 that was also, I think, pink. Ow! Okay. We weren't taking that on the air race. <laughs> we were taking the Cherokee 180. Um, so so here we go. We, we take off, and Edna does not want to turn on any of the instruments in the airplane because, you know, you use them and then they break. <laughs> okay. And Edna had a whole bunch of charts and didn't want to invest any money in charts because, you know, come on. And I'm pulling through her charts. Now, this is 1987, and I'm looking, and she hands me a New Orleans sectional from 1969 yeah. <laughs> says, this hey. should be fine. <laughs> hey, the, I've been through this with a friend of mine, and and he looked me square in the eye, and he said, the towns haven't moved. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And and she's doing a straight face, and I'm thinking, oh, and I should have known. I should have known <laughs> that this was going to be the tone of the whole thing. So here we are. Uh, we have managed to get there. We have managed to get most of the way back, um, VFR. <laughs> and we are, it's summertime. Did I mention that? We're in Alabama somewhere. Uh, no, no. It must have been Louisiana. I don't know. It was somewhere close. Anyhow, um, as you can <laughs> tell, it's part of my problem. And it's the same thing. I finally look at her, and it's getting to three miles visibility, and it's getting to two miles, and it's hazy, and you know there's going to be thunderstorms very soon. You just don't know where. Now, remember, you know, there's no strike finder on this airplane, no storm scope, and uh, it's before GPSs. Uh, she did have a Loran. It was a King Loran. Do you know the ones that had the really big keyboards? Do you guys yes. remember those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure did. Yeah. That you have to read the book a whole bunch of times. Right. And oh, no, 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 no. Okay? You have to punch in the you Loran know, uh, lines of position. Yes, you at, did. At, at one point, they were giving away a master's degree program at an engineering school if you could show that you could operate it. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. It was one of those. So so these are, the, these are my tools. And um, I'm looking <laughs> for an airport. And, and I have missed the air, and, and, and I'm mad. Now I'm really mad because I want to land. I just have a sense sense that it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I just know all hell's going to break loose soon. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to be on the ground for that. So 
I say, look, Edna, we are somewhere really close to this VOR, and I'm going to turn on this VOR, and I'm going to tune it in, and I'm going to find where and we're if, at. And if it breaks, I will buy you another That's one. That's right. Exactly. I'm done with this. I'm over yeah. it. Now, now my, my 23-and-a-half-year-old assertiveness is coming out. So so I did. I turned it on. I tuned it in. All right, fine. I am turned around. I'm going to this VOR. I know that the airport is four miles out on this radio from that VOR. All right, I get there, make the turn, trying to get on the radio, but, you know, you're in the cone of confusion a little bit and the whole deal. Meanwhile, I don't see the airport, and I'm pretty sure I don't have a DME, so I'm not sure how far four miles is, but I'm pretty sure I've missed it somehow. And I have so had enough of this that I park my butt right over an intersection, okay, of two pretty big roads, um, one of which is an interstate. And I call flight service, which is what this airport has at the time. Remember the old flight service oh, station? Sure. Oh, yeah. Yep. And don't you could miss actually that talk now. to the person who was on the ground there at the at the airport. And I said to him, "Look, I am not really lost, <laughs> but, and I'm pretty close to the airport. So what I'm going to do?" He said, "Well, do you need a DF steer?" I said, maybe, but I think. <laughs> but I'm not I really just, lost. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you what I see right under me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let me describe what I see. And maybe you can give me a heading to the airport first. He said, okay, I'll play. <laughs> 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 so I described what I saw on the ground, and he went, okay, you need to take up a heading of blah, 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 and descend to 1,000 feet, and, you know, and I said, well, I'm only at 1,500. He said, yeah, 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 but you'll be happier at 1,000, you know, because I'm thinking the clouds are, are somewhere lower where you're going. I said, okay, fine, and sure enough, I found the airport, and I went in, and I thanked the the flight service guy, but that that's my lost story, and after that, we stayed um, for some time, and I think that uh, we finally took off and started to fly and ended up in Monroe, Louisiana, because we were stopped by a line of thunderstorms that basically went from uh, the Gulf Coast to Nebraska somewhere, and it was impenetrable. Oh, <laughs> well, we <laughs> that, we wound up. Where is Edna today, though? Edna is long gone. God bless her. Uh, again, she was in. She was, I think, eighty six that year, and that was nineteen eighty seven. So, um, but you know, she was she was a delight to fly with, and I learned a whole lot of things. We flew from um, Fort Lauderdale to Freeport at four hundred feet with our life vests on, yeah. and looking eye to eye with the with the stacks of the cruise ships the whole way, and I kept going. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Whose idea is this? And she said, this is where the performance is. This is how we win this. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Dave, did you get lost? be damned. And I'm sorry? Did you get lost, Dave? Well, kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. I, was it, was wasn't really lost. Involved. Yeah. I started out knowing exactly where I was going and what I was going to do. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was a few years back. My instrument ticket was about a week and a half old. Mm-hmm. We had gotten signed off, passed check ride on a Friday night. Monday, we left for Key West, flew the Cayman Caravan that week. 
you know, dodged some really nasty weather getting down. Uh, perfect weather going to Cayman, coming back, had to go through a couple of little squall lines before we hit Cuba. Nothing serious. Got back, cleared customs, dropped off life raft, headed to Sarasota to spend the night. Thunderstorms over on shore, so we flew about five miles out. Overnight, next morning, I filed this really elaborate IFR flight plan to get to Greenville, Mississippi. Because it's yeah. pretty much chock-a-block. Clouds, uh, low ceiling, high high tops, uh, raining off and on. The whole distance from about 10 miles north of Sarasota all the way to Greenville. And having my ticket for a little over a week, it's kind of like, cool. We'll get to Greenville, and I'll get to shoot the ILS. That'll count toward currency. Cool. Filled out the flight plan. Filed it with flight service, put in the remarks section, GPS and Loran on board. As soon as we got going, as soon as we got going, yeah. air traffic said, uh, clear direct to the next, to, to this VOR. Well, they were skipping two VORs. Hmm. And there's no way in hell I can receive them. And I'm wondering, wow, is this legal? Because I got just VFR, GPS, and Loran on board. And I got about halfway to that after refiguring my course and heading and putting it into the GPS. And, oh, this way will do. I didn't get halfway there when they cleared me to skip the next three VORs. Uh-huh. And I'm really scratching my head here. And for a little while, until I could get everything reprogrammed in the GPS, I wasn't really sure where the hell I was. Uh-huh. Which made me grossly uncomfortable because I thought... Any second now, I was going to get pulled over by an IFR cop. For <laughs> <laughs> you know, they have a lot of those out there. Yeah, well, you know, I, I flew a lot more IFR after that, got a lot more assertive, got a lot less worried after trying to come home from Oshkosh that same year, mm-hmm. filing the same kind of very elaborate VOR to VOR flight plan to get back because I had to. Right. So what happened? I went you- with this guy in, in, uh, in Green Bay at flight service. And I start filling this out, and I skip the remarks section. And he goes, uh, son, you got GPS from Loran? I said, yeah. And he goes, let's put that in the remarks section. I said, okay. And he goes, you're a new instrument pilot, aren't you? I went, yeah. He goes, uh, I'm going to tell you something right up, right up front. As soon as you get handed off to Chicago, they're going to clear you direct almost to Kansas City. Just so it doesn't throw you, because all this VOR stuff, they can clear you direct, even though it's not an IFR unit, because you're going to be under their radar surveillance the whole way. Hmm. So they'll be able to see you. You won't be in any dead spots. So just so you know, oh, wow, man, that's what happened coming out of Sarasota, Uh, or out of Tallahassee. Uh, It kept me from being lost again. Yeah. I've never been lost. Yeah. I've I've not exactly known when I was going to get to my destination. Ah, yes, the great question mark. Yes. <laughs> no, I, the one time in an airplane that I've been lost um, was actually my first dual cross country. Um, took off out of the the uh, departure airport with. Uh, um, Instructor and, and there, actually there was a guy in the back seat. There was a Cherokee 140 with rear seats, and there was a guy in the back seat who was kind of along for the ride. And of course, that was this is the one time that you know. And, and I studied and I did the the plotter thing and I did the the whiz wheel thing and 
I, you know, thought I was headed off in the right direction. And I just kind of took a heading and started moseying on uh, off in that direction. And it wasn't five minutes before I did had no freaking clue where I was. Couldn't find a landmark. <laughs> Couldn't find anything. Nothing on the sectional matched anything I could see out the window. And we basically flew about a 150-mile triangle um, with the instructor just kind of, you know, coaching me along. And I was a, I was just a basket case. I was, uh, you know, um, just a quivering, quivering bowl of jello uh, the whole night. <laughs> and uh, we finally got back, and, and he explained what I did wrong and everything like that. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Just go ahead and shoot me, put me out of my misery, uh, bury me up to my neck and run a lawnmower over me. I don't care. Um, and, you know, he, he, you know, coached me through it and everything. I figured out what I did wrong, did it all over again for another dual cross country a week or so later, got that one right. And it's it's been kind of anticlimactic since then I, I will come back though and say that you know there have not really been lost since then but there have been questions about exactly when we were going to arrive that's all, <laughs> that's all i'm going to say what about you jack well i've told this story my, my most notable getting lost story was uh when i was doing my one of my uh student solo cross countries and uh, and I was flying across. Uh, Amy, you may be familiar with this part of the country, as I've discovered recently. Um, so I was going uh, cross country from Palo Alto, California, to Calaveras. Ah, uh, uh, yes, I know it well. All right, and uh, I had I had flown my with my instructor on on the, on that cross country flight to um, to Colombia, which is just a bit to the south, um, about an equal distance up into the Sierras, and. Uh, and so I was flying across uh, the Central Valley of California, which uh, you know, sort of the 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 earlier part of the valley I was pretty familiar with the landmarks and the the site picture because we had done a lot of my training there. But as I got sort of to the eastern edge of the Central Valley, it kind of becomes just all farmland, and you sort of see the mountains in the distance. But I was kind of checking off my landmarks as I as I went along, you know, cross checking onto my sectional and figured I knew where I was. And uh, and as I'm kind of approaching the the into the foothills of the Sierras, I'm starting to become a little less certain that I'm in the right place. And I'm kind of looking around for something, you know, and doing the whole VOR thing and trying to figure out where I am. And uh, and just as I was sort of, you know, not figuring out where I was. Um, I saw some a couple of really distinctive landmarks that told me that I was actually to the south of where I wanted to be, and I was actually approaching Colombia instead of Calaveras. And uh, so I uh, uh, and and I I don't know for whatever reason I decided you know what I'm going to land at Colombia instead of Calaveras. I you know, I'm not exactly sure, you know, and I, for whatever reason I, I think it was because it was, as you get into the foothills it gets bumpier, and I think it was a bumpy day to begin with, you know, and I was sort of like my comfort level was approaching, and uh, so uh, so I landed at Colombia. And I uh, got on telephone and called my instructor and explained what had happened. And he quizzed me on, you know, he was like, you know, so what do you think happened? What do you think, you know, what would you do? And he seemed pleased that I, like, didn't freak out and fly around in circles and stuff, you know. And uh, um, <laughs> That's you know. what most 
flight instructors are usually very pleased to hear that you're on the ground and safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Start so, with that. <laughs> so I said, I said, okay, do you, do you want me to like fly to, to Calaveras? I mean, I, I know now I know where I am. I'm pretty sure I can find Calaveras. He says, no, you're good. Come on home. And so I got in the airplane and flew home and everything was fine. And that was one of my, my uh, solar cross countries. And uh, There was an episode I had. Um, this was six or eight, ten years ago. I uh, was driving... Um, I was in I was in my family home up in Georgia, and um, um, happened to be going through this small town, and uh, knew the town had a had an airport, and I hadn't been to the airport in some time, and I said, well, I'll just swing by and you know see what's going on just for kicks, so I uh, I, I drive over to the airport, I find the airport, and I swing into the property. And there's like, you know, it's dead. There's nothing here. There's a building. There's a crop duster that hasn't seen action lately. And there's a runway. And there's a windsock. And that's it. And then all of a sudden, I notice over in the over in the corner of the ramp, there's a Skyhawk. So I kind of slowly roll over in that direction. You know, not, not that I haven't seen a Skyhawk up close before. But uh, and then it dawns on me there's a guy underneath it. <laughs> And I'm like, what is going on here? So this was a hot day in the south, summertime. And uh, I stop, you know, a respectful distance away. And I'm just kind of glancing in that direction. And I shut the car off and got out and slammed the door. And he raised his head up and looked around. I said, all right, fine, he's alive. And um, and walked over and you know, we introduced ourselves. And, and I said, can I ask you a, kind of a you know personal question? He says, "Sure." He says, "I said, what the hell are you doing lying underneath the airplane in in this particular neck of the woods?" And he's kind of laughs. He says, "Well, I'm on a student cross country, and I got you know a little you know kind of a, a curious um, oil pressure indication, and I, I just happened to be near this airport, and I diverted here and landed." And I uh, called, you know, he was out of Athens, Georgia, actually. This was in, in a small town in South Georgia. So I called the FBO. Um, there's a mechanic and a flight instructor on their way down here now in another airplane. They're going to check out the airplane and, and, you know, we'll figure out what to do about getting me home and the airplane home and all this kind of stuff. And I said, well, you know, okay, that makes that makes perfect sense. And the guy had done, you know, the exact correct thing. He wasn't lost. He kind of knew, sort of, kind of, sort of knew where he was, um, but uh, it was it was just a whole very interesting experience, and obviously another well-trained student pilot. Cool. Yeah, I mean, somebody should have stamped his ticket right there because yeah, I, that I, I judgment agree. doesn't come along often. I agree. Not that no. early, at least. Not not at I, that not at that stage of his training. Yeah. Usually, we, you got to have one of those fear of God moments. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've had I've had, I've taken students on night cross countries to airports where the the lights were no tammed out and just let them fly around in a circle over where they think the airport should be and you know I've taken students out on night cross countries where the clouds are too low to be doing a night cross country but they insisted that it was this is a good night to go do a night cross country I said okay come on let's go and we got out and got up to about 1500 feet and as the world started to disappear I said so still a good night <laughs> sometimes sometimes you need to drag people out and you need to let them you need to let them do that um 
because Absolutely. if you don't, there are certain personalities that will never be convinced until right. they, you know, hang themselves a little bit. Right. And it's best to do that with the uh, tutelage of the flight instructor right there to drag your butt out and shake you off and say, okay, so now let's talk about why you wouldn't do that again. My CFI, my primary CFI would do things like take me to airports at night with pilot control lighting. And not explain it? And not let me turn them on. Oh, that's just And he'd, he'd say, now, if you were – so this is where having instrument pl- plate approach plates can be handy even for a VFR pilot. Mm-hmm. And he showed me an approach plate that showed the relationship of the beacon to the runway. He said, now, can you line up with the runway and paint it with your landing lights? Like, uh, I don't know. Or he'd take me to an airport where the lights were on all the time, low intensities. Mm-hmm. But he wouldn't let me use any lights in the cockpit or on the wingtips. Well, okay. it's really necessary to be able to land without the landing light. I found I found that I do better landings without the landing light, in fact. Uh-huh. I found out that it's I do better with none if the airplane has one, but if it's got two out in the wingtips, mm, that could be different. Yeah, that's so different because you can find the spot where the two lights get close to converging, right? Which means that that's flare time. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can see how that would work. Yeah, works great. So let's. I want to move on here. We're going to try something different. So let's uh, bear with me here for just a second here, and uh, let's see if I can make this work here. Stephen, you there? Gentlemen, how's it going? Hey, who, hey, look, Steve. Look who just wandered into the hangar. It's uh, Stephen Force, aka Steve Tupper, from the Airspeed Online podcast or the Airspeed podcast. Yeah, easy for me to say. Airspeed. <laughs> I just. I. I uh, so we're, we're. We're. Of course, we do this podcast over Skype, and and as we're talking, uh, Steve. Uh, uh, instant messages me on Skype and says hello and I said uh, and he told me so the reason I want I, I invited you into the hangar for a minute here you're always welcome in the hangar but two things of interest here um, I want you to tell us a little bit about Podcast Palooza in a second but first can you give us a little sneak preview of what you're about to do what tomorrow yeah I'll, I'll go ahead and by the way can you guys hear me okay I'm just sort of working on the, the mic that's built into the computer yeah I, I can yeah, hear you're, you're fine. fine yeah you're great good. the Long and the short of it, uh, I have been the alternate flyer for the U.S. Air Force uh, Thunderbirds here at uh, Battle Creek. <laughs> and I, I dutifully showed up as the alternate should. I've been hydrating. I've been doing all the stuff you're supposed to. And the the primary guy did, in fact, show up. Long and the short of it is uh, Staff Sergeant walks out a little bit later, says he doesn't have a camera crew, but I see that you have your photographer come on in here and suit up. <laughs> oh, sweet. So long, long and short, I did not fly today, um, and I don't know what gyrations were going on behind the scenes, but um, his camera crew showed up at the last minute, but I, I've been fitted for my G-suit, um, you know, went through the, all the drills, went through the, the medical exam and so on, and the plan is that I'm supposed to report tomorrow at 1.30, and around 3 or 3.30, I am scheduled to uh, go up in the backseat of Thunderbird number 8 for a media ride. Cool. Wow. Very cool. That's very cool. Very cool. Have a... Have a light lunch. <laughs> Bananas. Bananas. <laughs> the, the, the same going down and coming up? Is that the... you've, you've seen the same joke. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. David, you uh, not the Thunderbirds. You flew with the Blues, right? 
Yeah, I got to fly in the number set back seat of the number seven ship with the uh, Blue Angels some years ago. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And two days earlier, uh, Raytheon Aircraft had put me in the front seat of the PC Pilatus PC nine that they were using as a model for their JPATS trainer. So on Tuesday of this week, we got to do a lot of aerobatic stuff in a in a, in a, in a military trainer, and then Thursday, we got to do some outrageously. Uh, just amazing stuff in an FA-18 that was a far cry from a trainer. And let me tell you, what a lovely airplane to fly, but it taught me the true, true meaning of horsepower. Yeah. Nothing I've ever seen. Steve, Steve. is this the most erratic aircraft you've ever flown in, Steve? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is, this is far and away. And I'll be perfectly honest, this is one of the reasons that I started Airspeed in the first place. Because you wanted this <laughs> ride. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. Now, certainly since then, I've, I've sort of, as this medium will do, and as I'm sure you guys surprise yourselves on occasion, um, it has certainly transcended just that singular, that singular purpose. But um, th- this is one of the primary reasons that, uh, that I started the whole thing. And you know, th- this is a planetary alignment. I did not expect to fly. <laughs> but well, as they can, you go ahead. Oh, it's uh, it, it's it's really like walking around in a dream world. I'm I'm at a Starbucks uh, uh, in Battle Creek, uh, just kind of throwing up some uh, some pictures on the blog and and so on. Um, and you know, did, you know, you in the Zoom bag with the, the sergeants around you, sort of lacing you up and all that. I mean, uh, none of this will be any surprise to Dave or anything. But for for me, it's a it's first time. It's it's very. Exciting! It's very oh yeah, unreal. the spool up this the spool up is just like this adrenaline ride all of its own. Uh, we didn't get the G suit fitting though. Uh, okay, the Blue Angels don't fly with them. Uh huh. Well, so by this time tomorrow, Steve, it will be as they say, mission accomplished. Right? <laughs> That'll be great. Uh, yeah, one would hope so. It's it's always contingent. It could be air, yeah. it could be weather, it could be whatever. And, and I'm not superstitious. I'm not worried about jinxing it. But uh, it, it is as they, they – I, I will at the very least have gotten much further than most folks will ever get toward uh, flying an F-16. It was a wonderful experience just, you know, sitting down and talking with, with a lieutenant colonel, frankly, going through the, uh, the, the medical exam. Uh, there, uh, the flight surgeon, uh, number nine is fantastic. Everybody there, consummate pros. It's been worthwhile, even if this is the only yeah. thing, but I would be completely lying to you if I told you I wasn't, Oh, uh, no, you, I, I don't have, I don't have the words, Dave, you probably know what I'm talking about. You just, you just gotta, you, you, you're just hyped. I mean, it's, you know, sleep comes weird. Uh, I knew that week early that I'd won this, you know, like lotto contest uh, you know yeah. they, they were taking three media people up on on their turn through wichita that year the blues uh they wanted one radio one tv and one print and the debate that went on at my employer at the time the wichita eagle was did they want to send the aviation guy who's a pilot or did they didn't want to send somebody that had absolutely no background in it and get the you know gee whiz from the wow i've never done anything like this before you know puking up lunch tastes worse going back than <laughs> yeah. you know that kind of thing and it's like i wasn't sure that i was going to get the draw uh 
and thankfully my uh, boss has decided, you know, having somebody that's not going to be blown away by just getting a ride in a fast airplane, but it's going to be blown away by getting to fly a fast airplane. Yeah. And I got to go. Yeah. Just hyperkinetic for days. Yeah. Amy, did you have a question for Steve? Yeah, I did. Steve, did you say that it was number six you're going to go with? Uh, no, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be going with number eight. Ah, number and eight. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the, which is uh, the major, and, and the names are escaping me, frankly. I had all this stuff pretty much down a couple of days ago after I reviewed the media pack, and, you know, I've, I've forgotten where I went to school. <laughs> well, the way I've been doing, the way I've been doing lately, I, I, getting... guys, I walked, I walked into the women's bathroom not <laughs> once, but twice <laughs> as I was, as I was going to put on my Zoom bag. I love it. The first one, it. but the second Steve, one, Steve, I would be the same way. Yeah. <laughs> well, the way the way I've been doing lately with getting uh, uncontrolled airspace uh, podcasts up online, I think by the time people are hearing this, you will probably have already posted an episode of your podcast with this whole story. And so we'll I was look- going to say this: the F sixteen will have been retired, but that's okay. well now now. now, now. Oh, Whoa! Okay, it comes out now finally. All right, and so that's cool. That's cool. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Steve, uh, before you uh, have to go away and, and get your coffee or whatever, is uh, we're all gathering in a few more weeks uh, at. Uh, at Osh- in Oshkosh for Air Venture and for uh, Potapalooza too, and uh, and and they've heard me uh, ad nauseum talk about Podcast Palooza. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, what you expect and what we're going to try and do there? Well, the and I hear everybody's been running the promo, which is great. We're going to be at I believe Forum Number Four Friday, August first, right after the air show. Uh, we're going to be live on EAA Radio, I believe, until the Lieutenant Dan Band comes on. And we're, regardless, we're gonna we're gonna record the entire thing. So the entire uh, Potapalooza, which you know, I think we've got leeway to go up to two hours. Uh, we'll probably run later in the week, and we'll stream and all that. the The primary thing for me is, you know, number one, we're all aviators. Number two, this is you know, this remains a relatively new medium. You know, until I can go three consecutive people before I get the the dull stare when I tell them that airspeed is a podcast. Uh, and they have to explain what a podcast is. You know, this remains a very new, unique, and evolving thing. And to get uh, guys like you, like Jason, like Will, uh, and perhaps some new faces together to, to really kind of sit down live, number one, meet each other, share some ideas, cement these relationships that we have. And then also to to just kind of sit down and find out what's going on in the, in the past year. Some of us don't hanger fly on our shows or at least don't do it much. So it's really a chance for everybody to hanger fly and get a cross pollination that, you know, even though the, the uncontrolled airspace personalities between, you know, you guys, Amy, James, and the other folks that come into the hangar, uh, the, the more, the merrier, and especially with the moderative stylings of Jack Hodgson and or, uh, uh, Kent Shook from the pilot cast, uh, I just, I can't wait. This is a high point for me, and I'm bringing Cole. He's six years old this year, uh, and we're, I'm, I can't tell you how excited I am. It's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. I get this, go ahead. If I, get, if I get this ride along with the other stuff I've done since the last Potapalooza, I warn you in advance, there will be no living with me. <laughs> I, was, I was browsing the uh, forum schedule on uh, airventure.org's website today, and uh Found that Podcastapalooza is uh, on the schedule there. Uh, forum area number four, like you said, I believe it'll say Air BP 
as in British Petroleum or Bravo Papa or, well, no, I'm not going to say what the next idea is. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be on uh, on Friday afternoon, early evening of, uh, of Air Venture Week. And uh, like Dave said, check out the, uh, the online uh, uh, forum listings uh, or check out Air Venture Today for more information. Um, the first portion of that will be broadcast uh, live on EA Radio, also streamed on the Internet. And like like Steve said, uh, at a certain point they have have to break away to to broadcast the uh, evening program. But uh, we'll continue to do our uh, our gathering and record it and, and post it as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. Hey Steve, thanks for uh, for jumping in here. We appreciate it. It's always fun to talk with you. And uh, we're jealous as hell about the Thunderbird thing, uh, but we hope it happens because we want to hear all about it. And uh, should be a lot of fun. As do I. I regard, as you guys well know, I regard uh, UCAP as the gold standard in uh, this this thing that we all do, and it is an honor to be invited into the hangar. Always, always, always any time, guys. Ah, uh, gosh, no problem. Nice to be the same. <laughs> the check is in the mail. That's right. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> Steve, uh, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. Best of luck tomorrow. Um, and even if it doesn't happen, uh, we hope it does. But even if it doesn't happen, as you say, you've gone a lot farther than the rest of us. Hey, Steve, take care. We'll talk to you again soon. Very good. Thank you all. Good day. Bye bye. Thanks. Well, that was cool. Yeah. I'm yeah, cool. it was. That was cool. Yeah. No, that's, he, he literally he, he, he IM'd me on a different little chat room here. And, uh, and I thought, well, let's try this. That'd be kind of cool. Anyways, yeah. hey, listen, we're definitely reaching the end of our allotted time here. We're having so much fun. Um, oh, but, man, uh, I'm so glad. Is there any story in here that we we really don't want to leave on the table? Or yeah, which uh, one? Um, Cirrus today yeah. flew yeah. the well, jet yeah. for the first time. Uh, mega congrats to uh, uh, everybody. To everybody, up, everybody, uh, indeed. It's, it's it looks good. They got they got images on the website. Um, it looks good. I'd really like to find out what kind of chase plane that was. Um, well, and I'm finding the, num- the new numbers. That but, I found uh, the new numbers that they're floating really intriguing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have to go look at those a little bit more yeah. close. They're, they're so saying a hundred thousand. They're saying a hundred thousand for a, for a deposit, and I'm sitting here thinking, hmm. And re- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I can say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> Well, we can, you know, we can, we can like pass the hat and, 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 and you know, my, my other question, of course, is by when do they need it, you know? But, yeah, uh, that's uh, true. Well, in uh, 300 knots and uh, being able to cruise as high as flight level 300 is so far ahead of their lower, their expectation lowering initial projections for the airframe. Yeah, 30,000 feet is nice because you can get up uh, away from a lot of the other traffic. You get away from a lot of traffic and get away from more weather. Uh, 300 knots is so solidly nicer than 250, it just gives uh, particularly you so since they're getting it on the same engine. Right. Yeah. Now, how does this, I know it's very early and things will change, but generally speaking, how does this aircraft compare to the other VLJs and personal jets and that kind of thing? That's well, very difficult yeah. to say. It's very really difficult to early. say. Yeah, I mean, well, first, first off, it's a smaller aircraft. You're talking about four to five seat, and that's basically two seats up front and a and a and a pair in the back or or, or a bench seat in the back of an old five. But uh, that's all. That's all the eclipses. Yeah, that's, that's all the eclipses. Is. And the uh, that's also all the diamond jet is. 
Uh-huh. Uh, the, the Piper Jet, which is another single, uh, is considerably more than that, but it's also running considerably more horsepower in its single engine and is a heavier heavier airplane anyway. Yeah, the, the Piper Jet feels more like a Cheyenne. It feels like a much bigger airplane. You're right. Well, it is a much bigger airplane. Is it six seats? The Piper Essentially, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and an honest six seats. Yeah. Not a, you know... Nod, nod, wink, wink. Four seats and two, four, four adults and two kids in terms of and, seating and, space. And this week, of course, it was announced the Piper Jet is doing uh, taxi tests. Yeah. Oh, it should be. You know, with with a jet pack and a Cirrus jet and a Piper Jet. Not that all of them are likely to show up at Oshkosh. Uh, we know the jet pack will. I'm betting that if the next three weeks, the uh, Cirrus the jet can get the right brakes and the right time on it, that it wouldn't surprise me to at least see it do a flyby. Cirrus oh, yeah. uh, will show up. It's too close. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's too close. It's, it's, it's a day trip. Yeah. yeah. And Adam Aircraft did that with the A700 about uh, three days after its first flight. It showed up at AirVenture. Uh, yeah. I remember because on arrival to 2-7, two, to it had to go around because of a foul up in the handling of departure traffic. Yeah. Well, it's going to be cool to hear more and more about that. Those guys have, of course, such a great yeah. reputation. They've done such a great job with their other aircraft that uh, it'll big be. Rats to Cirrus and uh, you know a you know big uh, tip in the uh, a big tipping point in where a person can afford to get into a jet. What else? Uh, I'm going to do shout-outs in a second, but any other big stories before we uh, before we cut this off? One last one. Go ahead. And, of course, everybody will have heard this. Well, a lot of people will have heard this from other sources uh, by the time this post. I think I know what you're going to say, and I couldn't agree more. Go ahead. Yeah, we can't go away without acknowledging the pending retirement of Phil Boyer from yeah. the yeah, absolutely Owners and Pilots Association. Uh, uh, Phil was, an, was, was a... Uh, "Quote unquote," an interesting choice. Eighteen years ago, uh, a guy who was a pilot, a broadcast company executive, uh, he'd done the wild world of uh, some kind of wild world of aviation flying for ABC, uh, but he worked for ABC primarily for a long time. Came to AOPA eighteen years ago with uh, <coughs> some you know, mixed expectations about what this guy was going to do. Well, and, and a very large pair of uh, flight boots to to fill. Exactly. I mean, he was he was taking the place of the guy who invented AOPA, right? Exactly. Well, the second president of AOPA up to that time had been the longest serving, and that was John Baker. And John Baker was from a very different background. He was a combat pilot. He was uh, uh uh, had political connections. He'd uh, been an association executive before, uh, being a Washington lobbyist and heading a, uh, a, a lobbying association was very much right up his alley. Uh, Phil came from a, an entirely different wing of aviation, different wing of the world, and just did a hell of a job in his tenure there. I mean, yeah. pulled the membership up, moved him into the digital age. Uh, helped shift the magazine into uh, better directions uh, and definitely represented our interests uh, in a tireless way. But had have to admit, had noticed in the last couple of years the uh, town meeting format had started to taper off a little bit. Some of, uh, some of that understandable 
from the fight for uh, FAA reauthorization and to, to, to hold back user fees. But some of it, you know, after so many years of doing that kind of road work, yeah. uh, regardless of the machine you're traveling in, it takes its toll. Oh, of course it does. But you know what he did? He really took all of his broadcast um, journalism expertise and he turned that um, into uh, making the organization a mouthpiece for general aviation. And he did it in a way that was, uh, they were always firm in their resolve. There was never a question about where AOPA stood. But the difference in style between uh, John Baker and Phil was about as dramatic and as stark yeah. as you could ever hope for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one thing's for certain: um, Phil will leave the organization better than he found it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he's uh, had a, a major influence on general aviation. Uh, you know, very positive influence. Uh, don't know what his plans are, but. If I was him after 18 years in that job, hmm. uh, if there's any way I could put my feet up for a couple of years, I think I'd be putting my feet up for it. That'd be great. That'd be That's great. exactly right. Let's hold off, and maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about the uh, the guy who's going to be his replacement. But, uh, I think that's a good idea. We'll talk about that next time. Let's see now. We talked about Podcast Palooza. Just a reminder, uh, Uncontrolled Airspace is going to be at uh, AirVenture as well. We're doing two episodes on the first day and the last day. They'll be aired live on EAA Radio and also streamed on their internet uh, and uh, their internet feed and, of course, uh, posted on our internet feed as well. So uh, we're looking forward to Oshkosh a lot. And Some of our listeners on the forum are giving us a hard time saying, you talk about Oshkosh too much. Some of us don't go to Oshkosh. You know, but we are excited about Oshkosh. Well, they, should, well, they should fix that. They should fix that they should fix that. One other Oshkosh uh, uh, subject uh, is uh, Dave. They've now scheduled your times for when you're going to be speaking at the Affordable Flight Center. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We pinned down times and dates. They tried to find a couple of spots where they were comfortable that uh, uh, I wouldn't be missed from my daily work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Saturday uh, from uh, let's see. Saturday, August 2nd, from 10 in the morning to 11.15. And the Affordable Flight Center is in what used to be the NASA building, north of uh, the old tower, uh, north of the the workshops area, and right across from one of the government mall buildings. So... uh, uh, if you know, if you've been there in the past and know where the NASA building is, that's the new affordable flight center, and the whole building will be dedicated to it. And the second one's going to be Sunday closing day. If they're coming a little earlier in the week, I'm going to yeah. be speaking Wednesday and Thursday from 2:30 to 3:45 p.m. in the Utah Valley University Pavilion Number Three. Cool. So. And I'm going to talk about home building and uh, surviving, surviving, building a home built and your family. So basically the family that lives together, stays together, and home building families surviving the build. Basically the same talk. But the family that rivets together holds together. That's right. A riveting, a riveting experience. That's right. You know, we had so much fun talking about things. I forgot to mention. I did mention it last week on the podcast um, that uh, I enjoyed a lot your appearance, if you will, appearance, quote unquote, on uh, Will Hawkins' podcast. A fascinating conversation you had with Will. 
Caldwell. And, uh, ah, yes. He was great fun to talk to. Yeah, and uh, learned some things about you that I didn't know and uh, learned that we both have this California background that you, you, you trained for a while. Or you, you did train. You, you gave training for a while at Petaluma. Which was yes, I did. That was the first my, place I worked. Yet another one of my student cross-country uh, destinations. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Was that before it was a big airport or after it was a big airport? No, it would have been. Uh, it would have been nine. Uh, when would it have been? Ninety-one, ninety-two. Was it bigger? Ah, than yes. It was a big airport by then. Yeah. In the eighties, it was a skinny little twenty-five hundred foot strip with power lines Ow! on end and a real runway. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was interesting, but it it was nice to see it change. Yeah. It was nice to see it change. So uh, I I urge people to uh, check out uh, that I mean, all the episodes of uh, of uh, Will Hawkins' uh, pilot plight pilot. I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me. He, he I wish he'd give this thing a normal name. It's a great <laughs> podcast. But he calls it the uh, the uh, the pilot's podlog, I believe, is what it's called. And uh, we'll put the we'll put, link. There'll be a link. We'll make. There'll be a link. There'll be a link. A link. And, uh, anyways, we got to wrap this thing up. Uh, I want to thank uh, Steve Tupper for joining us on the fly like that. It was really great. He actually had to step out. So he didn't have his headset with him. He was in the Starbucks, and he said, "I don't have my headset, so I'm going to just step out onto the sidewalk so that I won't be like talking, you know, to nobody in the in, yeah, the, yeah. in the Starbucks." So that's he was actually standing, I believe, on the sidewalk out in front of the Starbucks. We thank Steve for joining us. Learn more about Steve in his, uh, in his podcast at airspeedonline.blogspot.com. Amy Loboda is, of course, a freelance aviation writer and the editor-in-chief of Aviation for Women magazine. And you can learn more about her and her magazine and her work at wai.org slash magazine. Thanks, Amy, for joining us this week. Oh, you're welcome. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, a senior editor for Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Learn more about Dave at uh, kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash worldaircraftsales or aea.net. Or just Google his name and uh, ignore the tennis guy that's also named Dave Higdon. <laughs> right, right, right. He's, he's over in Wimbledon this week, so we don't have to worry about him. We don't have to worry about him. That's right. Jeff Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. And you can learn more about Jeb at jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com, and avweb.com. I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. Join us all on our own website, particularly in the forums area at uncontrolledairspace.com. So that's it for this week. Thank you, everyone, for joining us in the virtual hangar. And that's enough talk. Let's go flying. Let's go flying.